1: with Dr. Frank Turek. Alright, if I sound like I have a cold, I kinda do. I don't know why I get a cold in July. I hardly ever get colds, but uh, I kind of have a kind of a semi-one right now. So if this show is slower than it normally is, that's probably helpful to you, isn't it? Because I speak too quickly anyway. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Just got back from a wonderful conference out in Indianapolis. The Church of God in Christ denomination, man, those people know how to worship, Uh, was out there because uh, three years ago I went out to South Africa and uh, was privileged to speak at a church in a very poor area of South Africa, really a slum called Tempiza, and a man by the name of Vincent Matthews had moved his family, his wife and family, ten kids to a slum in South Africa to start a church, and I was privileged to speak at that church three years ago. Anyway, when he was asked by his denomination to come back to the uh, United States and uh, run their missions program, he, uh, he did that, and he invited me to speak to his uh, denomination at the Indianapolis Convention Center this week, which was just a blast. What great people and was able to give them a, kind of an overview of why Christianity is true. You know, our four questions, does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And is the New Testament reliable to the point that you can really know that Jesus rose from the dead? And of course, the answer to all those questions is yes, and Christianity is true. So it was great being with them. Maybe I picked up a cold there, I don't know. But we're going to go back and talk about the big questions in life. We had a couple of programs of uh, Couple weeks ago, last week we talked more about the Supreme Court. Let me say again, just to reiterate, with regard to the Supreme Court, uh, I mentioned that even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, which it should be, because a, it's bad law, and b, the states have the right to regulate abortion, just like they have the right to regulate uh, other behaviors. Most criminal law comes out of the state, as the states, as you know. Uh, but even if it's overturned, that wouldn't necessarily make abortion illegal because the states would have control over abortion law like they should which would mean that a state like California or Massachusetts or some other liberal state would probably keep abortion whereas maybe some of the more conservative states would restrict it or outlaw it and the left does not want anybody voting on this because they're not confident that the American people would vote the way they want them to so they want the court to impose that moral point of view, rather than the people governing themselves. Now, the only way that an overturn of Roe v. Wade would end abortion in the country, at least legally anyway, is if they found a right to life in the Constitution. They might find that in the 14th Amendment, for example, uh, no due process. Uh, The problem is, and to be a strict uh, originalist about this, you would have to say that when the, Cong- when the, uh, when the states came together and the Congress came together and passed the 14th Amendment, the states ratified it, of course, they had to have in mind when they wrote that document that life began at conception rather than at birth. Were people thinking that the, the right to due process, the right to life started prior to birth or after birth? Uh, and if it's prior to birth, then obviously then abortion should be illegal according to the 14th Amendment. If it's after birth, then not necessarily. The states would have the right to uh, decide that. So it's not a slam dunk that a Roe v. Wade is overturned. Suddenly abortion is illegal. The, the more probable view is that it wouldn't be illegal. The states would decide. Some places it would. In some states it would and Others it wouldn't. I just wanted to make that clear. And it depends on on how they rule if they ever rule on it again remember a case has to come to the United States Supreme Court for the for the court to take uh, up the issue and they'd have to they'd have to agree to hear it too anyway go go listen to last week's program if you want more on that but we're going to go back to the big questions in life and toward the end of this program I'm going to get to some of the questions you've asked me via email and uh, if you want to ask a question or make a comment All you need to do is uh, email us at hello at crossexamined.org. Hello at crossexamined, with a D on the end of it, dot org. Now, in the previous programs, we've covered why does anything exist? Why is there a universe? Does God exist? What kind of God? If there is a God, why is there something? Or if there is no God, why is there something rather than nothing at all? These are some of the questions we've covered. We've also covered, uh, do you have to investigate every religion to discover which one, if any, are true? Why is the universe so orderly? Where did the laws of nature come from? In the last program... Uh, Two weeks ago, we covered why is the universe fine-tuned? Why is there reliable cause and effect? Why is there even such a thing as evidence? And how did life begin? Let's take up another question today. How about, why can our minds discover truths about the external world? What better explains this, theism or atheism? Well, it seems to me, our minds are made in the image of the great mind. And the minds are designed, our minds are designed so we can know truth, and no god so we can ascertain truths about the real world and then reason from effect to cause what's the effect creation that's the effect we reason back to the cause what created this creation this universe what created us why are there these laws out there why are natural laws exist why do they exist why do they, why don't they change where what's the what's the cause of these effects And our minds are able to discover truths about the external world. That would presuppose that we have minds and not just brains, that we can follow the evidence where it leads, that we're not just moist robots, as the atheists say, that we're just not molecular machines. In fact, uh, John Lennox, who, as you know, teaches at Oxford and is a brilliant philosopher and mathematician who's debated Richard Dawkins, asks some of his atheistic colleagues Um what do you do science with? And they normally they'll talk about instruments and that kind of thing. He goes, no, no 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 I don't mean I don't mean that. I mean I mean what do you do how, what do you do science with he's pointing to his head and they go, oh you mean with our mind they start to say minds and then they catch themselves. Oh you mean with our brains. Yeah yeah. How do you do science with your brain? And they basically Uh, will say, well, do you want the long description or the short description? He says, just give me the, Lennox says, just give me the short description. Where did your brain come from? And what they say is, well, our brains are the product of a non-rational process that had no end in mind. And then Lennox will say, and you trust it? (laughs) Why would you trust an instrument that was formed by non-rational processes that had no end in mind? If there could be a computer, That was not designed, that was somehow put together by natural means. Would you trust what it said to you? I mean, why would you? The very fact that we have brains that can create minds seems to indicate that this is the product of intelligence. Our very ability to reason, our very ability to arrive at conclusions that are true about the external world outside of our skulls is best explained by a eternal. Mind, that created all things. Look, there's only two possibilities at the end of the day. Either matter gave rise to mind or mind gave rise to matter. You can, you can sum up everything, all these worldviews, into one of, those two, one of those two positions. Either mind gave rise to matter or matter gave rise to mind. Well, mind seems to be ultimate because A, matter had a beginning. B, matter's put together, it's composed, which means somebody must have composed it. Three, matter degrades. There must be something immaterial that brought matter into existence, something that's simple, uncomposed, that composed matter, something that's intelligent, which can create these things and establish a framework by which we can even know anything. And so... Our minds can discover truths about the external world because our mind is made in the image of the great mind. Because matter was created by mind. And it's best said in the intro to John's Gospel, in the beginning was the logos, meaning the logic, the word. And the word ultimately became flesh, as you know. In the beginning was the word, the mind. That's what brought the universe into existence. That's what sustains the universe right now. That's what created you and sustains you, and gives you ability to know external truths about the real world. Much more after we come back. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek. Back into it. How many young people do you know who have walked away from the faith either in high school or in college? Yeah, I know too many of them. In fact, 75% of young people will walk away from the church once they leave the home. Now, there's a number of reasons for this, but one of the reasons is intellectually they don't know why Christianity is true because we've never told them why it's true. We haven't provided them with the evidence they need to deal with a world that is hostile to Christianity, particularly the, the academic world that they encounter when they go to college or university. They are unprepared for that. Well, you can get them prepared now because we're about to unveil a brand new online course called Fearless Faith. It's myself, the cold case homicide detective, Jay Warner Wallace, and Dr. Mike Adams of UNC Wilmington. Uh, we are your instructors. Uh, over seven hours of video... And if you sign up for the premium course, you can not only watch all the video and take all the quizzes and all that and, and, and go through the workbook, but you can come online live via Zoom video and ask us questions on seven different occasions during the course. So uh, we're, we're out there running around uh, speaking live uh, all over the country, but we've reserved seven periods. Uh, and the whole course starts in September over the nine-week course where you're gonna be able to come on live and ask us questions via video uh, you got to go to cross-examine.org click on online courses uh, and you can see this course Uh, and you can sign up for the premium version if uh, you want to be live online via video conferencing with us Uh, we'll talk more about that as we get closer I think the course starts first week of September it's great for young people Great for anybody, but especially young people, because we're going to really help you figure out what college you ought to go to, uh, how you can evaluate colleges, uh, what you, uh, how you can be prepared before you go there with the evidence. There's a lot going on in that course, and we'll talk about it at a future date. But I'm just giving you the heads up now, particularly if you're a homeschooler out there. This is a great course for your kid to take, especially before they go to college. It's called Fearless Faith. Anyway, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You can learn more there. Okay, we were talking about before the break uh, why can our minds discover truths about the external world? <laughs> well, it's best explained by the great mind rather than mindless uh, molecules just bumping into one another, as the atheists say. And another question you might ask, another big question, is why is, or what is the source of the laws of logic and mathematics? I mean, the very laws that we're using to communicate with one another. Logical laws, mathematical laws—if we're talking about numbers—why? Where did those come from? In fact, I was at the University of um, Wisconsin at Madison about five years ago. Now, that campus is a, is about as in love with the Bible as say UCal Berkeley is. Um, they're they're not very favorable toward the uh, Christian worldview. Although I will say that the uh, the Badger. Crew uh unit up there was very robust. I mean, we had about 700 people show up for that event five years ago. In any event, uh, during the Q and A, I went through. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. During the Q and A, there was a man there with a ponytail who looked like a graduate student, and he had a shirt on, and it it had a cross, and then uh, around the cross was the big circle with the line running through it, the big red circle, the negation sign, you know. And underneath the cross, and underneath this circle, it said, bad religion. So I knew this man was open-minded. <laughs> okay. uh, in any event, he got up to the microphone, and I had just gone through the evidence that, uh, that God exists. I'd gone through the cosmological argument, the fine-tuning argument, the moral argument, and I'd concluded from those arguments that you can deduce that there's a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, moral, personal, intelligent creator out there who created all things and sustains all things. And he got up to the microphone and he said, can you name anything else other than God that's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial? It's a fair question. So I said, sure, the laws of logic. And he said, well, then I would argue that the laws of logic don't exist. And so I said, so you're saying they do exist? And he said, no, I'm saying they don't exist. And he said you're saying they do exist. And he said, no, I'm saying they don't exist. I said, you're saying they do. He said, no, I'm saying they don't. How am I saying they do exist? I said, because you're using them right now to contradict me. You see, you can't think a thought without the law of non-contradiction, which is one of the laws of logic. The laws of logic are to thinking what your eyes are to seeing. You can't see without eyes, and you can't think without the laws of logic. And so he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and, and he, he tried to somehow say that he wasn't really articulating himself very well, but I, I thought I knew where he was going. So I said, are, are, are you saying that you think the laws of logic are just human conventions? He said, yeah, that's it. We just invent them. We make them up. I said, if that were the case, there would be no way you and I could communicate. Because if you have your own private idea of the laws of logic in your head, and I have my own private idea of the laws of logic in my head, then we could never get out of our own heads. There'd be no way for us to communicate. The laws of logic, we don't create. We use in order to communicate. They exist externally to us, even though they're not material, they're immaterial. And we did not create them. They are actually a bridge between minds. We did not create that bridge, but we use that bridge in order to understand anything. In fact, when he said the laws of logic are just human conventions, well, he doesn't think that very statement is a human convention. He thinks it's objectively true, because if the laws of logic are just human conventions, then every statement is subjective, because it just it's built on a subjective the subjective laws in our head, and that very statement isn't subjective. It's objective. So it's self-defeating to say that the laws of logic are just human conventions. No, the laws of logic are grounded in the nature of God. They're derived directly from God. The same thing is true I think with the laws of mathematics. Why are the laws why are the laws of mathematics the way they are? And why can we describe the universe in mathematical terms? This is obviously not the product of some sort of randomness. This universe is orderly. In fact, you wouldn't even know what random was unless you knew what order was, and you wouldn't know what order was unless there was a source of order. Without an orderer, i.e. God, or a being like God, a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, intelligent being. So the source of the laws of logic and the laws of mathematics are better described or better accounted for By a being like God. It's certainly not accounted for by materialism. These laws aren't even material. They're immaterial. Just like your mind is immaterial. Oh, your mind relies on your brain, at least in this state we're in now. But there would be no mind. There would be no laws of logic or mathematics if there was no immaterial realm. Immateriality is required. And yet, atheists are saying everything's made of molecules. As soon as they say that statement, everything's made of molecules, well, that statement isn't made of molecules. It's a self-defeating proposition. I don't know why atheists don't, don't see the, the problem here. Their very pronouncements are immaterial. Their very propositions are immaterial. The laws of logic are immaterial. The laws of mathematics are immaterial. And yet, they're saying everything's made of materials. In fact, there was an article many moons ago, I think back in 1960, 1961. The article was, and I quote this in the book Stealing from God. In fact, most of what I'm saying today is from the book Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So if you want a written, you want more on this, you, you want to see all the details, get the book Stealing from God. Anyway, the the book was called, or the book, the, the article was called something like The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. And, and he was trying to Uh, trying to ascertain why mathematics applies to the universe. Why are they so effective in describing the universe? Why can we write an equation on a chalkboard somewhere and that equation actually describes what goes on out there in the universe? He didn't come up with any answer from an atheistic perspective, but he's asking the right question. Because this universe is designed. There's a mind behind it, but don't tell anyone. That's the reason. And then, speaking of that, this is related to mathematics, but why is there such a thing as probability? Yeah, probability. You know, we can calculate probabilities pretty accurately. In fact, in a debate I had a couple of years ago with a fine gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Lauder, Uh, you can see the debate on our YouTube channel. Uh, We were arguing or debating the question, what best explains reality? God, or actually theism or atheism? This is the same um, question we're going to debate. I'll debate Michael Shermer in California next month toward the end of August out there in San Jose. All the details are on our website. It's the same question we're going to debate there. Uh, we, I don't debate the question, does God exist, because then it seems like the, all the burden of proof is on the theist, and the atheist just has to poke holes in the theory of God, and he doesn't have to give any positive worldview. I think the better question to ask is, what best explains reality? What actually exists? Is it best explained by God, a theistic universe, or is it best explained by atheism? And so then both debaters have the burden of proof to say, well, I think it's best explained by theism, or the atheist would say, I think it's best explained without God, and here's how, here's why. Well, Jeffrey Lauder, to his credit, tried to give evidence for naturalism, and one of the things he was trying to use was probability theory. It's much more probable that naturalism is true, according to him. If there is no God, um, it seems like we can can show, his argument was that the way the universe is, is it's better explained that there's no supernatural being. And so my question is, why are you using probability? And where, does, where do where are the laws of mathematics, which are required to use when, when you're trying to calculate probabilities, where do they come from? It seems like probability theory, which allows us to estimate the you know, why something might be or not be, requires an orderly universe with immaterial laws like logic and mathematics. So when you're using probability theory to try and say there's no immaterial realm, you're using an immaterial realm, probability theory, with its laws of logic and mathematics built right into it, in order to say there's no immaterial realm. It's, it's a self-defeating proposition again. And so toward the end of the debate, Jeffrey finally admitted that he was not a materialist. And I was like, wow, we could have talked about that in the beginning of the debate. It would have saved us a lot of time. But if you're not a materialist, what are you as an atheist? What, do you, what grounds these immaterial realms? So in any event, I think, why is there such a thing as probability? Again, it best is explained by deism. The next question we're going to deal with right after the break is why are we conscious at all? And some atheists are saying consciousness is an illusion. In fact, we'll see that from Sam Harris when we come back from the break. And then in the final segment, we get to your questions that you emailed me. Hello at crossexamine.org. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Don't forget about the Fearless Faith course. Go to CrossExamine.org.org and click on online courses. Back into two. We're talking about the big. Questions in life. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We've listed, we've been through about 15 questions over the past uh, three shows. Or this show, and then two weeks ago, and then three weeks ago. If you want to go back into the podcast archives. And by the way, you can listen to any of these by, uh, via our free app. The Cross-Examined app. Two words in the App Store. Cross-Examined cross-examine with a D on the end of it. You not only get the podcast, you get the TV show streaming live, which occurs every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern, really Thursday morning, 1 a.m. if you're an insomniac. Uh, and also, it's got a quick answer section on there. So you can interact with people right off your phone when they say something. You're not quite sure how to answer them. You go to the quick answer section of the, uh, of the cross-examined app and get an answer right there. It's got our calendar on there. It's got... Uh, uh, all sorts of uh, different uh, helps right there on the Cross-Examined app, even as a place where you can donate. I don't talk about that much on this program, but yeah, you can donate to cross Examine because we're a 501c3 organization. We go to college campuses, high schools, and churches, and present evidence that Christianity is true. And particularly for the high school and uh, college, we don't charge anybody anything. We just show up and therefore we need some help to do that and uh, we take this on the road to some of the most hostile places academically against Christianity and if you're a college student out there and you'd like uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist at your school just email us at uh, cross-examine just go to cross-examine.org follow the cues and we'll see about coming to your college we're going to several already this uh fall and uh we go there and Present the evidence that Christianity is true. Have a very long uh, Q and A period where anybody can ask any question they want. So it attracts not only Christians but also atheists. Because anytime you call something, I don't have faith, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Atheists are going to show up, which is what you want, because you want to plant a seed and answer any other questions and show that Christianity is a very reasonable worldview. In fact, it's the most reasonable worldview, as we've been talking about. Reason can't even be explained from an atheistic perspective, but it can be explained from a Christian perspective. So, uh, in any event, let's talk about this question, why are we conscious? I don't know if you guys have heard of Sam Harris, but most of you who have listened to this podcast for a while probably know who he is. He's uh, an atheist, he's got a very popular podcast, he has several books uh, written either in support of atheism uh, or in uh, support of a, a particular viewpoint uh, that uh, is from his worldview he's got a book on uh, morality he's got a book letter to a Christian Nation uh, he also has um, as I say this podcast that's widely followed and he's got several YouTube videos and um, I'd like you to listen to what Sam Harris says about the fact that according to him the self is an illusion in other words you don't really your consciousness illusion let's let's see what he says and then we'll we'll unpack it it's about a minute and a half long here it is
0: I'm not arguing that consciousness is a reality beyond science or beyond the brain or or that that it's it floats free of the brain at death I'm not I'm not making any spooky claims about its its metaphysics uh, what I am saying, however, is that uh, the self is an illusion. The sense of being an ego, an I, a thinker of thoughts in addition to the thoughts, a, a, an experiencer in addition to the experience. that The sense that we all have of riding around inside our heads as a uh, kind of a passenger in the vehicle of the body, that's, that's where most people start when they when they think about any of these questions. Most people don't feel identical to their bodies. They feel like they have bodies. They feel like they're inside the body and most people feel like they're inside their heads. Uh, now, that sense of being a subject, a locus of consciousness inside the head, is an illusion. That is, it makes no neuroanatomical sense. There's no place in the brain for your ego to be hiding. We know that, that everything you experience, your your conscious emotions and thoughts and, and moods and uh, the, the impulses that initiate behavior, all of these things are uh, delivered by by myriad different processes in the brain that are spread out over the whole of the brain that they can be independently erupted. There's, there's, we have a changing system, we are a process, and there's not one unitary self that's carried through from one moment to the next unchanging, and yet we feel that, that we have this, this self that's just this kind of center of experience.
1: Now if you want to hear that again you can just go to YouTube and type in Sam Harris the Self is an Illusion Uh, That occurred from 2 minutes and 53 seconds to about 4 minutes and 21 seconds in that video. You can watch the whole video if you want and unpack that for yourself. But let's just unpack what he said there a minute ago. He said, I'm not making any spooky claims about the brain's metaphysics. Uh, He says, what I am saying, however, is that the self is an illusion. Well, first of all, that's a metaphysical claim right there. (laughs) And... The question is, how could you know yourself as an illusion? Basically, he's saying the self is is like a it's like a dream. It's it's not real. You think it's real, but it's not. Well, let me ask you a question: How do you know you're just having a dream? You ever having a dream and you're you're like, oh, this is so real, and then suddenly you're relieved when you wake up, right? <laughs> You wake up from the dream, and you go, oh, thankfully, that was just a dream. The only way you can know it's a dream is to get outside of the dream itself. In other words, you get the more than knowledge of being awake. In other words, you have to go outside the brain. You have to get or outside of the dream, I should say. You have, to, you have to get beyond the dream in order to know that the dream is just a dream. The same thing is true here. In order to know that yourself is just an illusion or just a dream, you'd have to get outside of yourself to know that the consciousness you have routinely is just that, it's an illusion, it's a dream. In other words, you'd have to get some sort of superconsciousness in order to say that the consciousness that human beings have is just an illusion or just a dream. In effect, you'd have to be God to know this. This is what Sam Harris is mis- is is why he's mistaken when he says this. I mean, if he's correct about it, that the self is an illusion, there's no way to know it. There's no way to know it because you'd have to get outside of it to know it. And and it it's hard for me to believe that Sam Harris saying things like this is actually, he has a degree, I think, in philosophy from Stanford. Those are the folks that wrote the Encyclopedia on Philosophy. Does, does he not realize that this is a self-defeating proposition? That epistemologically, meaning that the way he knows something, this is epistemologically impossible to know that the self is an illusion. I mean, you can you can assert it's an illusion, but you can't know it's an illusion because again, you'd have to you'd have to be outside of the illusion to know it's just an illusion. Later on, he said that uh, now that sense of being a subject, a locus of consciousness inside the head, is an illusion. That is, it makes no anatomical sense. Well, of course it makes no anatomical sense, because materialism's false. He's assuming materialism's true. He goes on to say, there's no place in the brain for your ego to be hiding. Well, yeah, because it doesn't hide in the brain. You have a soul. You have a mind. You're assuming that materialism's true when you say this when you say it makes no anatomical sense then he goes on to say we know that everything you experience your conscious emotions and thoughts and moods and the impulses that initiate behavior all of these things are delivered by a myriad of different processes in the brain that are spread out over the whole of the brain that can be interruptedly or independently erupted we know sam what how do you know that i mean in order to know that you'd have to be conscious and you'd have to trust your consciousness. It can't be just an illusion. You'd have to assume you have a brain and a mind because if you just have a brain then you don't really know anything because every thought you have is a result of the laws of physics. You're not really reasoning to a conclusion. You're just reacting as a Coke can reacts when it fizzes. There's no way of knowing anything if materialism's true. Or let me... Let me not be that bold. Let me just say there's no way of verifying what you know is true if materialism is true. Because if every thought you have is a result of the laws of physics without any or completely the result of the laws of physics you you can't deviate from the laws of physics then how do you know anything's true? So again, it's a self-defeating proposition. He goes on to say, we are a process And there's no one unitary self that's carried through from one moment to the next, unchanging. Well, if that's the case, Sam, how do you convict anyone of any crime? If a guy committed a murder yesterday, he's not the same person materially yesterday than he is today. And if there's no self that goes from one moment to the next, then the person you're convicting of a crime today isn't the same person you convicted yesterday, so that would be kind of then immoral, wouldn't it? I mean, that's just an implication of this. I mean if he's right, then there's no self. The implication is, well, there's no way to there's no way to hold anybody accountable to anything. Again, you can't prove this without assuming it. You can't prove materialism's true without assuming materialism's true. Because if materialism's true, you don't have the free will to reason to that conclusion. If materialism's not true, and you can reason to the right conclusion, well then, materialism is not true. (laughs) And so all these assumptions you have in this The Self is an Illusion video fall away. They're false. So, when it comes to the big questions in life, like why are we conscious, atheistic materialism can't even get out of the batter's box. Theism, on the other hand, has a very rational explanation for why we are conscious because we're a duality. We're a soul with a body. We're a mind that has a brain. We're a composite. We're put together. And our minds are built in such a way that we can know truth about the real world. It's not illusory. While the body may eventually give out, doesn't necessarily mean Ultimately, the mind will if there is a, an existence of the mind independent from the body after the body dies. And he's just assuming that's not the case. Of course, this segment, he's not talking about the afterlife at all, but that's an implication of materialism, that once your brain dies, once your body dies, well, that's it for you. Well, we already seem to have a duality already between the body and the body and the mind, or the body and the soul. So why not assume that the soul can outlive the body? Now you'd need revelation for that. We get that from the scriptures, and we can show that the scriptures are reliable. But the point here is, is that there is already a duality, regardless of whether there's an afterlife. And for you to deny there's a duality, you'd be using your mind to do so, so that's a self-defeating proposition as well. Well, let's get to some of your questions after the break, and we'll get back to We've got several more big questions we'll cover next week uh, or in a future program. But let's get back to uh, some of the questions that you've asked uh, via email. Hello at crossexamine.org. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just 120 seconds. Welcome back to Cross Examine with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. Well, there are big questions in life, and some of those questions are asked via email now. Uh, email hello at crossexamine.org. Uh, Jacob asks, Are we living in the end times, and when do you think God will come back? My answer is, We've been living in the end times since Jesus went up to heaven because there's nothing on the prophetic calendar that needs to happen for him to come back. So when do I think he will come back? I don't know. And Jesus as a man didn't know either. So there's nobody on TV or nobody writing books today that knows when he's going to come back either. Because if, as a man, Jesus didn't know when he was coming back, nobody else does either. He said, I'll come back like a thief in the night. So if you're expecting him to come back at a particular time, maybe that's not the time. He can come at any moment. So just be ready. Um, date setters uh, have been proven wrong time and time again. And so just be ready for him to come back. Don't try and figure out when it's on his timetable, not ours. I'm on the welcoming committee. I'm not on the planning committee. God's going to do all the planning. Uh, Let's see. Another question. I can't believe I got a flat earth question. (laughs) There are over 240 scriptures supporting a fixed and immovable earth. Look, I have very little patience for this. If you think the earth is flat, take a long walk and see how far you get before you fall off. Uh, It's quite obvious the earth is not flat, and the Bible is written from an observational perspective, just like we use observational language, even though we live in a relatively scientifically advanced age. I mean, we talk about sunrise and sunset all the time, even though we know it's not really rising, it's not really setting. We talk about the four ends of the earth. In fact, let's talk about sunrise and sunset. If you turn on the, if you turn on the news tonight and you watch your local news, the weatherman might say uh, sunrise tomorrow at 614. He's not going to say earth rotation will become apparent at 614. Why? Well, <laughs> because things are best spoken about from an observational perspective, not a rigorous scientific perspective. We don't talk about earth rotation. We talk about the sun rising and the sun setting. So the, the scriptures that you think deal with the earth being flat, it's written from an observational perspective, not a strict scientific perspective. Another caller or writer says, My husband of 17 years that was raised in a Christian family has decided that he no longer believes the Bible. He has reasoned in his head that if God really were loving and all-knowing, then he would have not have created any people knowing that most of them would go to hell. Uh, He finds the God of the Bible to be selfish and not worthy to be praised. I was also raised in a Christian family, but I just don't have an answer for this. What would you say to him? Well, my first thing would be, husband, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I would ask him that, because in, as my friend Richard Howe says, 99 times out of 10, these problems are not intellectual, they're volitional. They're moral. They're emotional. In other words, when people backslide from the Christian faith, most of the time, maybe not all, but most of the time, it has nothing to do with the intellect. It has to do with the fact that they want to do something that they think Christianity is going to prevent them from doing, so they deny God. In fact, my friend Gary Habermas, who has written several books on doubt, as you know, he's a world-renowned expert on the resurrection. He's also written books on doubt. We've had Gary on the program several times. He talks to people frequently um, who are struggling with doubts, and uh, sometimes people will call him and uh, or he'll learn of somebody that has, quote-unquote, lost their faith. And typically they say when they've lost their faith or they're losing their faith, they'll say something like, I've been thinking, and Gary will, will say what they really mean is, I've been sinning. Now, I'm not saying this is the case all the time, but quite frequently, more often than not, that's the issue. Now, going back to this, that if God were really all loving and knowing he he would have not created any people knowing that they would go to hell, okay? Well, first of all, God only has so many options when it comes to creating this universe. Could he have created... A universe where everybody believes. Well, it's logically possible, but it might not be actually achievable with free creatures, because it would be a contradiction for God to force people to believe in Him. You you can't do that if He's going to if He's going to allow uh, free will, so people can love freely or reject freely. But God can't force people to love him because love, by definition, must be freely given. So, is God obligated to create no world because if he creates any world, somebody's going to be lost? First of all, that's a moral question. And secondly, I think the answer is no, God is not obligated to create no world. He's not bound because if somebody freely decides not to follow him, that he can't create a world because of that. A lot of people will follow him and enjoy him forever. So does somebody who decides to go to hell to be separated from God, Did they get to veto heaven? Well, no, that wouldn't make sense. Hell can't veto heaven. If people are given a free choice to either follow God or not follow God, the people who choose not to follow God don't have the moral authority to say, well, God can't create any universe then if he's... If he's If not, everybody's going to be saved. And the other thing you want to say here is this is a moral question. And so many of the questions, probably 70 or 80 percent of the questions that we get on college campuses are in some way related to morality. They have a moral objection to God. Well, time out. If there is no God, there is no moral objection to anything because nothing is ultimately right or wrong. So what you're doing here is you're stealing from God to argue against him and this is the subject obvious of our of our books dealing from god why atheists need god to make their case now uh, this lady's name is April April i don't know if your husband claims to be an atheist now but if he claims to be an atheist he has no moral authority to judge anything including the the god of the bible he thinks is selfish and by the way why would it be wrong to be selfish if there's no god why is there why is anything right or wrong well nothing's right or wrong and by the way if anything the God of the Bible is anything but selfish, he actually sacrifices himself to save you. How is that selfish? I mean, if the Christian story is true, and it is, it literally says that the creator of the universe created us, gave us free will, allowed us to make a choice to follow him or not, and we decided to rebel against him. So what he decides to do is he enters the bloodstream of, human- bloodstream of humanity, he takes humanity and comes to earth as a human being, allows the very people that rebelled against him to torture and kill him so he could save them, the rebels. How is that selfish? And by the way, God doesn't need your praise. If you're thinking that God is a cosmic ego that just needs your praise, you don't understand who God is. God is an infinite being. You can't help him by praising him, and you can't hurt him by cursing him. He's an infinite being. The only person that's going to receive the benefit of praise and the detriment of cursing is you. God wants what's best for you, and he knows that what's best for you is for you to not worship the creation, but to worship the Creator. Look, at the end of the day, there's only two religions in the world. You're either worshiping the creation or the Creator. All the world religions can be put into one of those two categories. They're either worshiping the creation or the Creator. Paul talks about this at length in Romans chapter one that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness to go our own way. We don't want to worship the Creator. We've worshipped. The creation, these created things rather than the creator. And so, I would go back to your husband and first ask him the question, April, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And then say, what do you mean by God is selfish? What do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? These are all questions that you can get from our app, the cross-examined app, Two words in the app store, cross-examined. They're also from Greg Kokel's fabulous book, Tactics. Ask those questions. If you ask a lot of questions, your husband's ultimately going to realize that he does not have intellectual justification for his position. And before he's going to accept Christianity, he's got to at least realize that the current worldview he has is wrong. There's no reason to change his worldview if he thinks it's right. So just keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. Because when somebody says something, it's not your job to refute what they say, it's their job to support what they say. So ask them, why do you believe what you believe? What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean, not worthy to be praised? What is worthy to be praised? Now, if your husband's saying he believes in another God, and so he has a moral standard, well, what's the evidence for that God? I mean, Peter put it right in John chapter 6 when some of Jesus' disciples wouldn't follow him anymore because he said, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you want to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And some of the disciples said, "It is a hard teaching. We can't follow this guy anymore. And then, by the way, that's an embarrassing detail. Some of Jesus' disciples decide not to follow him anymore, and they, they include it in there. This is not a made-up story. Anyway, then he turns to Peter and he says, are you going to go too? And Peter says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Yeah, that's one of the problems. Where else are you going to go if Christianity isn't true? What else is out there? I mean, the evidence shows that Christianity is true. It's not just process of elimination. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying there's, there's no other options, really. No other reasonable options. Christianity is true, and God does all the work. He comes and saves us. That is the least selfish thing I could think of. He goes through pain and suffering to save the rebels. So mention that to him. We'll get to some more questions next week. You're listening to Cross-Examine. Thanks for being with me, and don't forget about the Fearless Faith new course coming up in September. Check out crossexamine.org online courses if you want to sign up and get in before it fills up. See you next week, friends. God bless.